of the third season of the Pump Court Family Law Podcast. My name is Tara Lyons and over the course of this season me and my co-host Mark Ablett are going to be speaking to a variety of speakers on hot topics in family law including Edward Boydell and Mark Dubbery on varying natural settlements under the Matrimonial Causes Act, Victoria Ellis who's going to be joined by an independent social worker talking about the role of ISWs and appointment of guardians and Jennifer Lee on court of protection matters as well as many many more. All those to come but what better way to kick off season three than being joined by not just one but two stars of Pump Court, Jennifer Swan and Hilary Lennox. They're here to speak to us today about the often thorny issue of relocation Both Hilary and Jennifer are extremely well-regarded children practitioners who specialise in relocation cases and cases with an international element. And Hilary's been elected to the Executive Committee of CALA, the Child Abduction Lawyers Association. So who better to speak about relocation with me today? Jennifer and Hilary, welcome. How are you? Very well, thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Tara. Uh, yeah, thanks, Tara. I am living the dream, as we all are in lockdown. But um, yeah, very <laughs> exciting to be here tonight. Well, it's lovely <laughs> to have you both. Um, and I think it's it's obviously a really topical um, issue with travel, but for the pandemic um, or international travel becoming more and more widespread. Um, when I was a baby barrister, I remember that the go-to case for relocation cases was pain and pain um, in which the court asked those certain questions um, in each and every case that needed to be uh, answered when deciding whether or not there should be an order for relocation. Um, Hilary, what are the legal principles guiding relocation cases now? Are we still taking account of pain and pain? Well, pain and pain um, set up an unusual scenario. It's still relevant today. Uh, The questions are still relevant today, but they are not, in fact, legal principles set out in the 2001 case. What what essentially happened was that pain um, and pain, while it said that the welfare of the child was paramount, it was interpreted in such a way that it placed a significant emphasis on the effect of a refusal on the applicant parent. Mm. And then it lacked emphasis then on the child and it almost made the relocation cases easier. And they said that that was wrong. And that while six questions, you know, on whether the application was genuine and whether, you know, the application was realistic, et cetera, that they were, gen- they were relevant in, in relocation applications, but they weren't um, the legal principles. And then K and K was said was the court the case that said that this was not in fact um, legal principles and bring the focus back to the welfare of the child. Because I think the thing is, my my recollection was that, as you've said, because of the emphasis um, on the impact on the uh, relocating parent if it if it was refused that actually 
unwittingly that seemed to create a presumption in favor of the party wishing to leave Is yes right? yes absolutely there was too much emphasis placed on the refusal of that application of the applicant parent and um, so they brought back the statutory welfare checklist and it was more it's now more on the effects um, on the child as opposed to um, the parents relationship and that's quite significant but things have moved on um, further again and I think Jenny will speak about the um, the most recent cases in that. Yeah so Jenny where, where are we now on, on these cases? Um, well well Tara <laughs> uh, after K and K, the Court of Appeal considered another case in 2015 called WeF, uh, and that just confirmed really that K and K was the leading case, and it was no longer pain. Uh, and if you if you read pain now, which I obviously did for the preparation of this podcast, um, <laughs> obviously, um, it's actually really weird to read now because it is so gender biased. Viewing mm. um, it through the you know it's twenty it's a twenty year old case viewing it um, 20 years in the future it is quite strange to read and REF did emphasize that and said it was redolent uh, with gender-based assumptions and, and what REF did was really uh, emphasize to the court that it needed to be a balancing act um, of both parents plans you know the relocating parent examine that plan the left behind parent uh, examine that plan and sort of bring it all together uh, look at the welfare of the child and um, the most recent case, as Hilary uh, mentioned, is another reque, uh, and that was in 2020. It's a High Court case, um, and Mr Justice Williams, what he did was really bring together um, the, um, the leading cases. Uh, he called it the FKC pain composite, uh, and if anybody's interested, it's paragraphs uh, 48 to 50 of that judgment, and he set out seven questions uh, and there's quite a lot of sub questions um, in those uh, in in that judgment and it really it's a really useful uh, checklist exercise almost when you're preparing cases um, to for all the questions to consider um, so I think that that's probably the most useful case um, at the moment. I mean just going back to what you were saying earlier about pain and pain including quite a lot of gender bias I mean just looking back at the yeah. questions they're even referred to um, assuming that the relocating parent is the mother yes, yes and it says the benefit of the maternal family in the the new country it's really yeah. it's quite jarring I found it quite mm. jarring anyway and so how many of the questions in pain and pain have actually made their way through to Rike, have they all kind of found their way in, in in one way or another? Oh yeah, absolutely. And they are all gender neutral now, obviously. Yeah. Um, but they're absolutely still there, and they're mostly in um, the the question, the sort of headline question is uh, any harm which the child is at risk of suffering, mm. uh, and then the court says what's the impact on the child of the change of their relationship with the left left behind parent. Um, what will be the impact on the removing party of having to remain um, in England contrary to their wishes? So the there are definitely pain is still there. It's absolutely still there. It's just part of a much more holistic analysis, uh, and you never view it through through the the eyes of the parent. You're viewing it through, through the eyes of the child. And I think actually it's it's really helpful to have a case like Rike, a child, which brings it all together because. 
um, I remember even there was that sort of yo-yo between sort of the questions being pain and pain, then actually you weren't looking at pain and pain at all. You were looking at the overarching principle of the welfare of the child, then pain and pain creep back in. And actually something which includes all of it and sets out the right um, focus that should be applied to each consideration is, is probably the best way forward, isn't it? It's, I found it super helpful because it, it is a high court case and it just mm. draws on the previous court of appeal cases mm -hmm. and, and like as you say just puts it all together in that one place and if nothing else it makes your skeleton argument way shorter yeah exactly <laughs> which is always helpful um Hilary one thing that I am always um conscious of when I think of relocation cases is whether or not it's it's always a kind of certainty that you'll get a Kafkas report or want to get a Kafkas report, do you have any views on whether uh, Kafkas should be instructed in each and every case and or not? Well, um, Kafkas is, and I think it can be very helpful in these cases um, because they can go into a much more detailed background of the family. Uh, the wishes and feelings of the child um, and ask, you know, have sit down and have these hour or two hour long mm. um, conversations with the parents and also with the children, depending obviously on the ages of the children. And they can, they can do a much better analysis sometimes or a, a more detailed analysis because as the judges have said in the case of Rien, they said that the judge's task is to undertake a sophisticated and complex analysis to bring the parents from a state of disagreement to clarity. And obviously, um, in doing that, the, the CAFCAS can be very beneficial. Now, I've used um, the Rien case recently in a case where I was asking the court to order an addendum report um, because um, the essential ingredients, in my opinion, hadn't been um, determined as of yet. And they were essentially the child's wishes and feelings about relocating and the potential integration and, and schools and family life and what, what was, you know, ahead of them. Um, and okay, beneficial and, and it assists um, when seeking the CAFCAS reports because they do do a nice, uh, summing up of, of how the CAFCAS report assists. Yeah. And one of the things you've touched on with the CAFCAS report is the wishes and feelings of the child. How do the courts deal with it, Jenny, if, if you've got two siblings who might have very different views about whether they want to relocate? But can well that is obviously a really tricky situation to be in and you might think that the courts would approach it on the basis that siblings should remain together wherever possible uh, and of course there, there will be cases and it will probably be the majority of cases where um, the sibling group should stay together and that's something that children practitioners are obviously very familiar with in other areas as well um, but there there was a case of re-s and that's a 2011 case uh, where the court made it clear that the children do the welfare checklist needs to be applied to 
each child individually and right. what's best for for example in that case i think it was a 16 and a half year old uh, is not necessarily what's better for a younger child uh, and the outcome for the children may well be different um, so I, I think that's something to bear in mind. It's going to be a welfare analysis of each child individually. Um, and that will, of course, include their wishes and feelings, whatever they may be. Um, you know, and appropriate weight can be given to those depending on how old there are and all the other the usual factors. Uh, one of the interesting um, aspects of that RE-S case, uh, mm. the case um, was the suggestion within that that a lifestyle choice case um, might be treated differently um, to a what was called a compelling reason case. Uh, so that's something that, depending on sort of which side of the argument you're on, uh, that's something that you may, you may focus on uh, when you're Did having the final arguments. Did the court expand on what it felt was a compelling reason case or did it leave it pretty vague? No, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really the point of the case. Um, it's, you know, it's a comment that's been sort of picked up on. Um, you know, and, you know, ultimately, I suppose the line between lifestyle choice and compelling reason is a pretty grey area. In Ries, um, the father wanted to relocate to Canada, um, but that was where he was from. And it was still treated yeah. as a lifestyle choice, which... Personally, I think was is a bit strange, but yeah, who am I? That uh, is a bit but, strange. I mean, that could that I I find that case very interesting because you're right. The the general sort of consensus these days is that children's welfare's are best met by keeping siblings together, um, and so the idea that actually on something so important and something that has such large ramifications as relocation you know the courts kind of focus on treating the siblings separately I, I find that sort of quite a different approach to the general approach that children cases take but I think as part of a holistic welfare analysis that that is very much going to be a focus uh, and it's just one of the things to throw in the mix and I think it's just depending on you know, what the position is what, what you're arguing for uh, you do need to make it clear to the judge that they, they need to do this welfare analysis on both of the children and similarly with the the um, lifestyle choice point I think it, it, it does still all feed into the FKC pain composite because ultimately the lifestyle choice point um, you reference it back to the impact on the removing parent of being forced to stay, for example. So mm. it's obviously going to have less of an impact if it's just a life, just a lifestyle choice case rather than a quote unquote compelling reason case. So I don't think these are necessarily these aren't cases which take the law in a different direction. If you see what I mean, it's no, it's it's, it's probably yeah, it, probably it's you know the the answer is that actually it's it's making sure practitioners and CAFCAS officer don't just group the, the children together. It doesn't necessarily mean that the outcome will be different for different children. It just means that they've got to pay specific attention to the children as separate as separate children. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, yeah I just, just to cut in there, they, I think also when it's a young, very young child and they do weigh up the analysis, particularly when a left-behind parent wants to focus on their relationship child yeah. the child year old may be quite different for a seven eight year old and that's why they say um 
that's why they say don't put lump them together deal with them individually yeah but so that's really I, I think that case is incredibly helpful um the composite case that you were referring to Rikay a child Jenny on international relocation but Hillary where are we now with internal relocation well I think the leading case is a 2015 case it's Rikay um, and previously in the case law, similar to pain, um, that the exceptional argument for a primary carer to be prevented from living wherever they wanted to live um, was something that became like pain and pain, more of the focus instead of the welfare of the child. Um, and so she's, Lord Justice Bodie then summarised it and said that there's no difference in the basic approach between external relocation and internal relocation and that it should be focused more on the welfare of the child. Um, and they said that while the wishes, feelings and interests of the parents and the likely impact of the decision of each of them are of great importance, but they are in the context of evaluating and determining the welfare of the child. and then. Um, Finally, she said, um, in either type of relocation case, external or internal, a judge is likely to find helpful some or all of the considerations referred to in pain and pain, but it is not a prescriptive, prescriptive blueprint. Um, so, 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 so it's, it's basically the same, isn't it? It's the same approach. Exactly. And it, and it brings it back to the welfare of the child again, that that's where the yeah. emphasis should be. Um, and also proportionality um, was considered there too. So um, with internal, there is no real um, difference in internal relocation and external relocation, but in internal relocation, the leading cases we see. Okay, that's, that's really helpful. So, so let's just talk about some practical matters. Um, let's say you've been instructed by a client who is a proposed relocating party and wants to move i don't know to canada what things do you need to think about when you are preparing his or her case jennifer if i can ask you that first of all um i think the first thing i would think about is putting the other parent on notice and or trying to get their consent um quite a lot well i wouldn't say quite a lot when when it is when when it when it is sprung on the potentially left behind parent, you're, you're not getting off on the right, you're not getting off on the right foot, you're not getting off to the right start. Um, lots of notice and a really conciliatory approach I find is always very helpful. Um, you've also got to think about timing, um, issuing as soon as possible, or certainly well before the intended relocation is absolutely key, particularly at the moment, um, you know, with yeah. the, the COVID backlog. I was going to say. They are so busy. There yeah. is no point issuing in May if you're hoping to move over the summer holidays. No point. No. Um, unless it's agreed it won't happen. You know, what, I, thing, what kind of lead time do you think is sensible at the moment? Well, I mean, it varies from place to place, but as much time as possible. I, to give you an example, I just finished a case, um, and a relocation case, which was issued last March just got permission to relocate right, right. Um, so that's um, a year and that's almost, and i just got at dra stage for an international relocation i just got a final hearing date in september yeah 
I mean, I think it's, I think it would be sensible to leave yourself at least a year. I think at the moment, and it will obviously vary from place to place, and there's yeah. no sort of hard and fast rule, but as much time as possible. And also when you're managing your client's expectations, you know, people come to you and say, oh, by the way, I want to do this. Oh, well, that may not happen. Yeah. I think it's something to set out right from the beginning. Um, and, and it sort of feeds into the planning. Um, mm. When you take a statement, you need to, you know, your, your statement in support of your application to relocate is much, much more detailed, should be much, much more detailed than your sort of average children act application statement you need to it needs to be quite exhaustively researched mm. um, and you need to you know you need the client needs to really have thought through the practical points and sort of they obviously and, and that's i think as i said before that's sort of a conversation that probably needs to happen with them right at the kickoff um, well just on that because i think actually um, that is, um, in the relocation cases that I have done, that is actually the thing that has um, really led to a, a party's downfall. If their witness statement just doesn't address um, all the salient points and doesn't sound like a comprehensive plan, then then it just it's just not going to cut the mustard you're absolutely right and there's so much more emphasis on the witness statement in relocation cases uh, and, and in other children at cases in some ways you can make up ground by having a good kafka support for example um but in relocation cases there is absolutely no substitute for really top draw initial statement and you need to be thinking about every aspect of what mm. this child or these children's lives are going to look like in their new place so housing employment finances you know schooling extracurricular activities healthcare. you know that's something to think yeah. about if if there's no national health service language obviously really important yeah. quite often gets forgotten immigration issues you know, just because you're a citizen of X country does not necessarily mean that your children are. You know, they probably will have the right to be, but you need to set that out in your statement. But also... Um, all, really useful. Go on, sorry. No, I was just, I was just uh, to be honest, I was just thinking um, another thing that I've always thought is really vital is um, detailed contact proposals and actually the logistics of, of contact and the financial implications of it and how they're going to be met that is these i would say and i don't know whether hillary would agree with me that that is probably the single most important part of a very important statement uh, you know the court isn't and the number of times that you see this where you have a statement and all it does is is bad mouth the same the parent yeah. that's been behind and that can actually be quite fatal um for your proposed relocation because the court isn't going to permit it without very good reason if they're not satisfied that you know the relationship between the child or children and the left behind parent is going to not not just even uh, subsist but flourish uh, and yes oh absolutely Tari you need to be setting out really really detailed um, 
setting up really, really detailed contact schedules, really, really practical plans, you know, um, add in exhibits to your statement, maps, journey times, journey timetables, the whole shebang. Mm. It's so important um, because the court, the court wants to be satisfied that this is something that will definitely happen and there's no better mm. way of demonstrating that than saying, look at all this research I've already done. Mm. And what about, um, what are your views about CAFCAS or ISWs in, um, in relocation oh, cases? This is something to think about if you are short of time in particular, although depending on the court listing process, um, it might be pointless anyway, but I have had cases where instead of waiting for a CAFCAS report, uh, an ISW has been instructed. Mm. Uh, and it could be a way of either doing much more in-depth work. So I had a case where an ISW was instructed when there was a fractured relationship between child and parent. And not only did the ISW provide recommendations, which were um, very well thought out and very helpful, um, but they also provided recommendations recommendations as to how to rebuild the relationship between mm. uh, the child and and her parent and that was really useful actually really and, useful for the parties and it was sort of a, a wraparound um report rather than something um that, that was a bit more just focused on relocation if i can put it like that mm. so what about if you're representing the parent left behind um Hilary, what things have you got to be thinking about in preparing their case? Um, well, I suppose um, opposing a well-prepared relocation case is possible if you carefully consider the adverse impact on the child. Um, so that could include things like the loss of their roots, um, their friendships, their wider family, um, and show that it's you know in the best interests of the child to remain in in the country um, considering that with the welfare checklist um, you can also then consider the education the health recreational activities um, and then obviously the relationship with the left behind parent which is what a lot of the witness statements um, tend to focus on when it, they should in fact be more child focused and I agree with what Jenny said about um, uh, particularly when you come into a relocation case halfway through and there hasn't been um, much um, legal guidance in it. And it's um, it's all about tearing down the other parent. Um, mm. And as you know, when you're seeking to relocate, um, the contact is really important. So mm. the court may may reject these applications. and knowing that neither parent will cooperate with each other. So um, that's, that's really fatal in these cases, which you see again and again. But another aspect of, of um, opposing the relocation applications is in some cases don't oppose them. While the first reaction may be to oppose the relocation vigorously and aggressively, um, sometimes it's better um, just to focus on ensuring the good contact and take mm. away all that noise um, and, you know, sort out good contact, particularly if it's to a European country, for example. Um, but, you know, the de with the development of technology, that can be, you know, quite beneficial to the parties with FaceTime and, and Zoom. 
which has been highlighted how people are doing business now under lockdown and these can be really uh, quite beneficial so while we should be focusing on the issues with the child and the welfare of the child in the witness statement sometimes it is more prudent not to oppose the application and in fact just focus on um, ensuring um, you get good contact well it's far easier isn't it to persuade the the relocating parents that actually they should up their contact um, yeah. if it me if it means that they'll be able to relocate by consent so I guess actually you know grasping the nettle if they've got a if the relocating parent has a very strong case you want to kind of use the opportunity before trial to kind of make sure that they that they offer meaningful and significant contact otherwise after trial you know you you might not be in as good position no and you're you're shrouded in in you know the heat and temperature of the case as yeah. well at that stage i mean it's while the courts always recognize the vital importance of face-to-face -face contact um, particularly if it is a European country, you can start focusing on, you know, flights and, and who's going to yeah. pay and, and how often and what holidays, etc. And, and you may, in fact, find you have a much better result as a, as a result of not, you know, focusing on the heat of these cases, which unfortunately they're very difficult because obviously there is a winner and a loser and, and it is, it is, they are very difficult cases and the temperature yeah. is always very high. And if actually um, it looks like the relocating parent is going to be successful, I mean, one thing I, I guess you'd also have to bear in mind is, you know, do you need to obtain a mirror order or how are you going to enforce contact? Well, that's a very good point. You, um, whatever whatever country um, the applicant is seeking to relocate, it is absolutely very prudent for the left the left behind parent to seek advice from a lawyer in that jurisdiction and ask how a contact or you know an order for contact would be um, enforced. Um, you know, so that's yeah. very that would definitely be advice you'd be giving to to a parent a left behind parent. And I guess at the moment, Jenny, with all uh, with the restrictions of the pandemic, there can't be many people um, wanting to move away or uh, making applications to relocate. But it, are there any other sort of impacts of the COVID pandemic that that? practitioners need to be thinking of well hopefully we're on the way out of it um, so these will be really transient problems but what i would say is in covid is obviously something that is potentially going to affect practicalities rather than legal principles uh, certainly when you're dealing with internal relocation, the government guidance has always been really very clear that you can travel to see a parent. 
Um, yeah. So that, in terms of internal relocation, it's less of a, a sticky issue. Um, but what I would say is it, it's really a matter of when you're preparing your evidence. Every aspect that you're considering, every heading that you've got in your statement, uh, and you're, you're explaining what will happen on the ground, think about the impact of COVID. You know, has it impacted on the train timetable? Has it impacted on the ability for you to um, come back to England with your child so they can visit their other parent, for example? And as much as you can think of ways in your statement to mitigate it uh, and you know my experience I, I'm not sure whether this is the same for you Hilary is that judges are relatively unwilling to hypothesize and if someone yeah. says well you can't possibly do this because Covid that they don't tend to give that much airtime because they say well I'm not speculating um, but I just think it's part of a really well-crafted statement and case yeah. Uh, to show that you've thought of all of that and to show mm. that you've thought about the ways that you can mitigate um, that you can mitigate it as much as possible. Well, thank you. And just in the last couple of minutes, I just wanted to ask Hilary about um, what if you're representing so uh, someone, a European, who has relocated uh, to to England is there anything you should be thinking about above and beyond what we've already discussed today well yes there is the um, EU settlement scheme and if you have relocated to the United Kingdom um, and you can show that you're living here before the 31st of December 2020 you can apply for um, a settled and pre-settled status. Status is usually over five years and pre-settled status obviously is from is under that um, and you can't apply specifically for one of those um, the home office will decide um, however it is if you're EU, EEA or Swiss citizen and family members, you must apply um, for, for the status. And you have a deadline um, of the 30th of June, 2021. So it's coming up quite soon. Um, and if you don't apply, um, which it's free to do so, um, you may find yourself in difficulty um, with work permits, studying, using the NHS, um, claiming benefits, renting homes or even registering to vote. Um, if you're Irish, Irish citizen, you don't need to apply. Um, the UK and Ireland has a special relationship and I get asked that question um, all the time through my practice, what, what the position is with Irish citizens um, living in the UK post-Brexit. So they don't have to apply. But EU, EEA and Swiss citizens and their family members do and they have until the uh, 30th of June right. uh, this year, 22 apply. So not much time and that's a really helpful thing <laughs> to have on people's radars. So thank you for that. Well, thank you both of thank you. Thank you, Tara. Thank you both of you so much for that. I found that really interesting um, and I'm sure our listeners will uh, have done as well. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And please tune in next week for another exciting episode. As ever, if you do have any suggestions for topics you'd like to discuss, then please email myself at t.lyons, L-Y-O-N-S, at pumpcourtchambers.com or Mark Ablett. Um, and both email addresses can be found on our website.